1996, Cameron, Wisconsin. I had my first teaching job as a home ec teacher. They called it home ec back then. It was 1996. Now they call it family and consumer sciences. First teaching job, first teacher in service, we learn how to search the World Wide Web. <laughs> I'm aging myself. Then, four years later, I get a job in the tech capital of the Midwest, Pequot Lakes, and they wanted me to enter my grades into a computer. Not my red grade book. I don't think I could, I can't do that. I am so comfortable, there's so much security in me writing the scores in those tiny little squares, color coding, missing and late assignments. I needed that. I could bring it home with me if I needed to. There were no laptops for teachers back then. There was comfort in my red grading book. I double entered my entire teaching career. I could never just enter grades into the computer. Eight years forward, I have my first administrative job, and they give me an iPhone. I've never had an iPhone. This is super cool. And they would like me to use a shared electronic calculator or calendar. Mm, give up my paper calendar? I don't think so. I would write in my calendar, and then when I got in the car or back to my office, I would put it in my phone for everybody to see where I was, who I was meeting with, and what the meeting was about. I double-entered for at least two years before I finally weaned myself off of the paper calendar. <laughs> but if you go into my office right now, I actually printed a paper calendar so I could write some things on it this spring so that I could have like, I don't know what, it just made me feel good. <laughs> I'll tell you why it made me feel good. The honest truth is that those two things, the red grade book and this paper calendar gave me the sense of security and it gave me the sense of control because I was the one who was putting the information into them. What do you think that it would take to convince a new teacher, say a Gen Xer or maybe even some of the millennials, to use an electronic gradebook and the red gradebook? What would it take to convince a high school student to use their electronic calendar or and a paper calendar? Well, first, <laughs> let's be honest. Let's convince our high school kids that they should use a calendar. <laughs> What would it take to convince them that they needed to have both? It would take fear. If we could just get this, the smallest little bit of fear and tell them that they needed to have both in order to make sure nothing would get messed up, I think that we could convince them to double up, use both. If fear is related to trusting that things won't get messed up, then there's security in doubling up. At least there was in my brain. Fear is the most powerful, one of the most powerful motivators of human action 
and human inaction. And fear might be one of the things that allowed the Galatians to be convinced to follow a false gospel. Today, we're going to move to the book of Galatians. <laughs> Amen. I liked Galatians. Or, I mean, I, liked, I like Galatians. I like Lamentations, too. It actually gave us permission to not always be okay. And the book of Galatians, it doesn't necessarily carry the same kind of emotion that Lamentations did, but it definitely carries with it some pretty strong emotion and a very strong tone. Turn with me to Galatians. It's page one, or not one, 972 in your blue Bible. Nine seventy two, chapter one, verses one through five. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with you. To the church of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of, our Father, of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This seems like a typical greeting that we would find in, our, in the letters in Scripture. But Paul's greeting in this letter to the Galatians is actually different. This greeting makes a statement beyond, Hello, it's me. Right away, we get this sense of what this letter is going to address. But we need a little background to get our context. So Paul is very familiar with the Galatians. In Acts 9, we are told that Jesus sent him out to proclaim the gospel, him as the Son of God, to the Gentiles, who were the non-Jewish people. Paul did this. And he shared with them the gospel, and he established many Christian churches during his mission to the region of Galatia. The tone of his letter is actually very harsh because he's frustrated. And he's frustrated with the Galatians because they have bought into a false gospel, a gospel other than the one that Paul had shared with them. So Jewish Christians had come through the region that Paul had previously been in. Okay, Jewish Christians, they believe that Jesus is their Messiah. But when they came to these Gentile Christians, they discredited Paul's authority, claiming that he was actually sent by man. After all, he was not one of the original 12 apostles, and therefore Jesus couldn't have possibly sent him to proclaim the gospel. This authority was just part of what Paul is addressing in this very specific greeting. The other is that there, was Jewish, there were Jewish Christians that had convinced the Gentile Christians that Paul's gospel was actually incomplete. It wasn't finished. At the time, many Jewish Christians accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but they also believed that because the nation of Israel was the first covenant relationship with God 
And because they were given the law, they, the Jewish people, were the only ones set apart as God's chosen family. That meant that being Jewish mattered, and it meant keeping the law mattered. For them, keeping the law was actually part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With this context, we can understand why Paul's greeting was intended to remind the Galatians that he did and does have the authority as an apostle and that the gospel that he shares is the only gospel. And we can understand the frustration and outrage that we will sense in his writing. So back to his greeting. Paul's greetings typically include a coworker or a co-signer. Like he'll say, you know, me and write to you. But here, he's saying, not just myself and a coworker are writing to you, but it's me under the authority of God the Father and Jesus Christ and all of the brothers and sisters who are with me in Christ. We send this message to you. This is the shared message of the Christian community. A shared message, there's power in a collective voice, right? It's like signing a petition. Petitions work. I remember when juniors and seniors in high school petitioned to have lunch open for juniors and seniors. All the kids, I guarantee, every, every junior and senior signed that petition, and with a good argument, a rational argument, it worked. Lunch was open for juniors and seniors. Unlike the petition that they put forth to get pop and candy put back in the vending machines that were actually in the high school cafeteria. That didn't work so well. But the power of collective voice is real, and it really can have influence. So this detail in his greeting tells us that Paul is very confident that his gospel is complete. Paul's greeting actually feels like a really firm handshake, right? When you greet somebody, I don't remember who taught me this or where I learned it. I'm sure it was in like some job prep or interview prep or something. When you are going to meet somebody, you extend your hand first, you look them in the eye, and you give an appropriate amount of pressure, and you shake, and this communicates to that person you are confident in who you are, and you are confident in what it is that you have to offer. Paul here is giving this firm handshake. I know who I am, and I know what I have to offer. He's saying, I have the authority to say what I am going to say, and you can be confident that I know what I am talking about. He continues his greeting, like many greetings, with a typical blessing in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is typical, but he goes on. He goes deeper to clarify the source of this grace and the source of the peace. God's grace is Jesus who delivers us and sets us free from the present evil age. And God's peace is the freedom from the bondage that was the law and is sin. 
he will go on to remind and retell and reteach, showing the Galatians why the distorted gospel that they believe does not even make sense. He brings them back to the essentials of the gospel so that they can actually move forward and fully, freely live in the kingdom of God. Paul's letter to the Galatians has been called a gospel of freedom, freedom and liberty in the spirit. Dr. William Durness says, Paul's overriding theme is to stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. This letter succinctly and fully illustrates God's will for humanity. It explains the impact of the gospel and what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. As we move through this book, we will find that there are many familiar themes and many familiar verses that come from Paul's letter to Galatians. For example, chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We are justified through faith in Christ alone. So if fear motivates, these Gentile Christians certainly could have been moved to action by this other gospel. They were told that following Jesus actually was not enough. And in order to be accepted into the family of God, like the Jews, they too had to keep the laws, like the Jewish people, Jewish Christians. So that meant their salvation was dependent on Jesus and the works of the law. But Paul argues if you fully understand who Jesus is, why would you give up the freedom in him to be enslaved by the works required by the law? That doesn't even make sense. It would be like trading a 2023 Toyota Tundra 4x4 1794 edition. I had to look it up. It is actually a sweet looking ride. And trading it for a 2008 Honda Civic with 230,000 miles and cloudy headlights. It doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? Or it's like trading your Italian Dunkers for a Dole fruit cup in the middle school lunchroom. That does not make any sense at all. Italian Dunkers, anyone? Right? Our Italian Dunkers were different than my kids' Italian Dunkers. Ours were these big pieces of bread with like greasy mozzarella cheese, right? And we dunked it in the marinara sauce. My kids tell me that these Italian dunkers are like these sticks and they're filled with cheese and they dunk them, right? Yeah, why would you trade those? It doesn't make sense. So for Paul, it makes no sense for the Galatians to trade or give up their freedom and be enslaved. 
it does not make sense. In chapter 3, he explains why the law was necessary. So he's backing up. He will tell us and tell them why the law was necessary and why the law is no longer necessary. And he identifies who is adopted into the family of God. Chapter 3, verses 28 through 29, refer us to who. Chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to the promise. The gospel plus the law said that only law-abiding followers of Jesus could be accepted into the family of God. And Paul reminds them, this is not correct. He said, this is my paraphrase, if you understand... And if you are in Christ, and you are, then you are all in Christ. If you are in Christ, we are all in Christ. There's unity in Christ. We are one. There are no categories in the kingdom of God. We love categories, and we love labels, right? They give us this idea and they give us context in which to understand things. When we're young, we're taught to sort. We sort by size, we sort by color, we sort by um, shape. And as we get older, we sort by gender, we sort by age, we sort by all of these things. So as we go on, we learn to label these groups that are similar or have things in common, things that are alike. And from there, we learn about categories and labels that our cultures create that actually identify people. But the kingdom of God is free of these categories and these labels. Being part of the family of God is about being human and being one in Christ. And then it got me wondering, what would the kingdom of God here and now look like if we didn't categorize or label people? Who would be reached? Who could be blessed? Who would be worthy of our time, our attention, and our resources if they didn't fit into a certain category of people? The law, when it was necessary, it did separate people. And it offered a sense of assurance and control. It was the guide for righteous living. They didn't understand how the Holy Spirit worked. Without the law, Jewish Christians didn't understand how a follower of Christ could live a righteous life. They didn't understand the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, Paul explains what walking by the Spirit would actually look like. 
Turn with me to chapter 5. This is verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which such things have no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Keeping in step with the Spirit means listening and paying attention to the Holy Spirit as our guide and as the guide to living according to the will of God. The law was meant to stop or deter wrong living, and the Holy Spirit encourages and guides right living. The law was meant to stop or deter wrong living, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is meant to encourage and guide right living. With the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's no longer about don't do and don't be. It's about can do and can be. The fruits of the Spirit are the attitudes and the attributes and the outward expression of being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul's letter tells us what living in the will of God looks like for followers of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ who allow the Holy Spirit to be their guide. Fear opens us up to believing we need more control. Fear can tempt us to act in ways that are contrary to what is true. Fear allows us to be convinced of things that don't even make sense if we fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this letter, Paul challenges the Galatians and he challenges all followers of Christ throughout history. And he pushes us to think about what we think we think we know to be true about the kingdom of God. Did the Galatians and the Jewish Christians of the early church humble themselves to be corrected? Will we, do we, humble ourselves to be open to correction? As we enter the Lenten season, it's a time to reflect intentionally on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to pick up the Spiritual Disciplines booklet for Lent. Every week, we're invited to read through chapters of Galatians. And we're invited to pay close attention to any words or phrases that stick out to us. It's a discipline and an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to a deeper and personal understanding of God's will for all of humanity. When we stop and we listen and we're intentional, paying attention to the Holy Spirit, he will reveal to us the will of God for all of humanity. Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you with humble hearts, understanding the heartbreak and the disappointment when we don't fully understand what you have given us, the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand fully with the depth that you have intended us to understand. Help us to experience your love. Help us to experience and be open to the Spirit's guidance. Allow us to fully see what it is that you intend for humanity. Allow us to fully see and live freely in your will. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to please stand. Let's sing to the one who delivers us.